Well, good morning, my friends. I'm so glad you could join with me today in our Wednesdays in the Word. This is the first of the Wednesdays in the Words, the weekly expositional times. This is the replacement, the natural outgrowth of the unfolding the Word, which was a daily, around 10 minutes a day, exposure to the Scriptures verse by verse, exposition. In that unfolding the word, we were in the midst of looking at the book of Romans, and now that we're transitioning into the Wednesdays in the word, I'm going to continue right where we left off. So those of you following through the book of Romans with me will not have any break in studying the book of Romans, and I hope that you'll find it helpful. These Wednesdays in the word take the form of a bit longer exposition, but once a week. You can certainly listen to it all at one setting if you wish, but you could come back and listen to this in several segments, should you wish, whichever fits your schedule best. Well, we're in the midst of the book of Romans, as I said, and today I want to read to you out of Romans chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, the next segment in our study of Romans. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Our context is, you've been with me in the preceding unfolding the word studies has been this, that all people need the gospel. In the first chapter of Romans, we learned in verse 16 that Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel because it was the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believed. After having said that, then God led from that point into discussing the issue of human sin. He helped us to see how everybody ultimately is in rebellion against God. From the most immoral, perverted, debased person to the most upright, nice, religious person, all are sinners ultimately standing before God. There's no curve in the way God grades us as people. When we stand before God, it will be, how do we match up to his perfect will? How do we match up to his righteousness and holiness? If we don't, if we've sinned, then we are having by the nature of that to be separated from God and accountable for such sin. If we've been perfect, of course, we continue on. That's why, as we've talked about, Genesis 3 presents us that picture that one sin in the garden was enough to disrupt fellowship with God and Adam and Eve having to be taken out of the garden. In James, we learned that to have become guilty of one sin makes us guilty of all. And we talked about the absolute nature of that because either we are righteous or we're not. Now, there's varying levels of being unrighteous, of course, but either we're righteous or we're not. And if we're not righteous, then we cannot be in relationship with God. There is no curve, as I say, with God. How we might rank against other human beings is not really the issue. How we rank before a holy and righteous God, who is also just, is really the issue. And that is going to be the issue of judgment. It's appointed unto man once to die and after that to face the judgment. How will we stand in the midst of that judgment? It has everything to do with whether we're resting in our relative righteousness or whether we're resting in some other foundation. 
all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yesterday, or last time when we were together, I was looking at Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, which was introducing us a bit more to the reality of that after that comes the judgment, as Hebrews chapter 9 presented it to us. Listen to these words. He said, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. And from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And then I saw that the dead, great and small, were standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Well, there it is. What's called the great white throne judgment. <laughs> it's what Hebrews 9 is referring to. Each person must appear before God. That is the nature of God's plan. That is the nature of human destiny. And in that, what will happen is that all of our actions, all of our thoughts, all of our words, all of our intentions will be known and evidenced before that holy, righteous, and just God before whom we must account. He knows everything there is to know about each one of us. And by the way, because that's true, there is simply no hope for people who are counting on their own personal righteousness to get to heaven when they die. There is no hope for someone to think, well, I'm, I'm matching up to the righteous holiness of God. It won't happen because it will be evident that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God as Later on, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 will develop at length for us. There is no hope apart from God doing something. Well, building on that, getting into our verses today, we find in discussing that future, he says there's be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. Everyone, Jews first, Greeks too. Glory, peace, and honor to everyone who does good, Jews first, Greeks too. For God shows no partiality. Then that's where we begin here. What does it mean, God shows no partiality? What that means is there's no one who is exempt from his standard of criteria of judgment. All are judged before God's holiness and righteousness on the same criteria. Have they aligned perfectly, been sinless? in light of his commands, in light of his ways. All have that same criteria. No one escapes it. No one is in going to stand before God and not have to answer for that reality. All are judged on that foundation. It really doesn't matter how much money you may have chosen to give to charitable causes or your church. It doesn't matter how many candles you've lit. It doesn't matter how many masses have been spoken over you. It won't matter how much you've tried to atone in dependence for your wrongs. It won't even matter what you say intellectually you might believe in your mind. 
The issue is, has anything ultimately happened that has put you in a place where you will not be accountable for your own actions? And if nothing has happened to do that, and we're going to talk more about what can happen, but if nothing has happened to do that, all will stand before God because he is an impartial God. And all will be silent before him because it will be evident as the books are opened that they have fallen short of the glory of God. They have become sinners breaking certainly the greatest of the commandments, to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then, of course, guilty of all sorts of other moral failures and ethical failures as well. Now, in these verses, in verse 9, there's a very sobering promise from God. He says, listen, there'll be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, Jew first and the Greek. If you are a sinner, and that's what doing evil means, if you are a sinner, and all are, as I've been talking to you about, you will face certain judgment before him. A judgment that will be followed by what he says are tribulation and distress. Now this tribulation and distress, very sobering words. Let's look at them a little bit. Terrible words, really. The word tribulation translates the Greek word thlipsis. Literally, that word means pressure that constricts, pressure that distresses. It, it describes someone who has an inner feeling of being hemmed in, of having nowhere to escape without options. That's a very sobering feeling, and I believe every one of us at some level has felt that in our lives at some point where we just thought, this is true tribulation. I'm, I, I'm under a pressure that has no seeming escape from it. I'm without options. God says that feeling, which all of us have had to some degree, will be a feeling from eternity that we will feel. Throughout eternity. Tribulation. Without options and without escape. What a sobering word, as I said. But he then moves on and gives us another word. He says, there will be distress. Stenokoria. What that means, literally means a narrow space. It's a similar sort of concept. To this narrow space is to be in a place where you don't have any room to move. Let's say a rock and hard place sort of feeling. <laughs> That's what God uses to describe this. He says, all of us have known what that was like too. Then he says, this will be an eternal reality for those who come before me and have nothing to pay for their sin with. They will be in a time of tribulation and a time of distress. What sobering, sobering words. Listen, God loves us enough to tell us the truth about eternity and about eternal realities. Take it to heart, listener. This is how God describes that picture. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. And understand everyone does. And God shows no partiality. There is an accountability for all. Then he moves on into verse 10 and he says this, But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. And it looks like, well, here's... 
Here's two contrasting promises. I like the second one better. <laughs> if I've not, God says, if you've not sinned, there's going to be a time not of tribulation and distress of being between a rock and a hard place, constricted with nowhere to escape. Instead, it'll be a place filled with honor and glory and peace. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? I want that option, don't you? If you're righteous, you'll pass out of judgment. You will come into that place of holy honor, glory, and peace. Anyone from any ethnic group, Jew, Greek, doesn't matter. If you can come before God on that foundation, your future is not tribulation and distress. Instead, glory, honor, and peace. And you think at first glance, I like that option. That, that makes me feel much better. But listen, it shouldn't make you feel much better. Because who, when they really analyze their life, can possibly find comfort in this promise? What do I mean? Well, we've already discussed the fact that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He says, anyone who does good. Well, who does good? As the basic characteristic of life. I was thinking of Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 and 17. Listen to these words as a man came up to Jesus in the midst of his ministry. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? I mean, he must have understood some of these truths. What good deed must I do? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep all the commandments. Well, there again is the problem. <laughs> to have broken one commandment means you couldn't keep them all. And he says there's only one who is good. Well, who's that? The Lord Jesus himself. We'll come back to that in a minute. But Jesus makes it plain. Listen, if you're trusting for your future in a hope that God will see that you are a, you are a good person, person. Stop trusting in that, because there's only been one good person from the beginning of history, the Lord Jesus himself. Later on in the third chapter of Romans, and we'll get to it, Lord willing, in time here in our week-to-week -week studies in the Wednesdays in the Word. In verses 10 to 12, listen to these words in Romans 3. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. And ultimately, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And of course, they're not talking about the fact there that a person couldn't do a good task or a good deed during the way. He's talking about the condition of life. And he says, listen, there is no one who does good. Why? Because as Jesus said, there's only one who has done good. All right, well, what's the point of all of this? Where does it lead us? Well, it leads us here. Unless God does something, we're all under the first point. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. We're all there. We're not under, verse 10, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. Unless God does something, all of us have already lost. Unless God does something... All of us are still in a hopeless place, facing a future described by God as tribulation and distress. 
but God did do something. And that's the wonder of the gospel. That's why Paul back in Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. <laughs> my God did something. I might be ashamed of myself in terms of my stumblings and sins, but I'm not ashamed of the gospel because God loved me even though I was a sinner. And God did something to change the equation. God did something to change the situation in which I find myself. The gospel is this. God sent his son into the world to die for us. Remember John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In Jesus Christ, in this gospel that Paul is not ashamed about, God provides for us another way to face that judgment in the reality of it. He gives us another way to meet the standard of righteousness in his eyes, a standard that cannot change, a standard that has no partiality with it, a standard that demands absolute perfection and absolute righteousness. God gives us another way to meet that standard. He gives us another option, in other words, when we come before him, than having the option of what's written in the books for us. <laughs> Think back to what I read at the very beginning of our time together out of Revelation chapter 20. In verse 12 it says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the fire. You see, there are the books, which contains all of our actions, all of our thoughts, all of our words, all of our intentions, <laughs> all our motives. And then there is a book the Lamb's Book of Life. And that Book of Life has some names in it. If a person's name is in that Lamb's Book of Life, they now stand before God based on a different criteria than the books, than the cumulative total of all that they've done. They stand before God on a different basis. They stand before God on the basis of the one who was good, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. They stand before God, if their name is in the Lamb's book of life, on the basis of Christ's righteousness, not their relative righteousness, not their relative curve standing. They stand on the basis of one who was perfect and met God's standard and criteria. A person's name is put into that book, this book of life, this Lamb's book of life. A person's name is put into that book when they repent and believe in that gospel that Paul says he's not ashamed about because it's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. That gospel talks about the reality which lies at the heart of the Lamb's book of life that Jesus Christ died for us on this cross. He paid the penalty for our sin. 
His righteous, perfect life can therefore be credited to us and our sin, for which we are truly accountable, could be placed on him and his work on the cross. A great exchange has taken place. The gospel at its heart is all about this great exchange. Listen to these words out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. It helps to unfold this even a bit more for us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, through Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. In other words, all that's in the books, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God's making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the wonder. That is the solution. That is what enables us to move from before God from the books into the book, the Lamb's book of life, to be found with the righteousness of Christ, having exchanged our sin and all of its accountability, which leads to tribulation and distress forever, and receive in turn the righteousness of that perfect one, that good one the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It almost seems beyond belief. And yet, this wonder is the wonder of the gospel. It is what the gospel is ultimately all about. Paul talks about this in the book of Philippians. Listen to these verses in the third chapter of Philippians, verses 8 and 9. For Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, he says, I want to be found having a righteousness, not that I've tried to earn, but that Christ had and then granted to me. Through faith in him, God has given me the perfect righteousness of Christ, clothed me with it, credited it to me. By the way, that's the doctrine of justification. And Paul will have much more to say about that wonderful, amazing doctrine in the chapters ahead in the book of Romans. So I hope you'll stay with me as we continue to learn more about it. But in its heart, that's what it is. Justification is to be clothed with Christ's righteousness so that when we stand before God, God sees the righteousness of Christ, not our sin. That's what it means to have our name in the Lamb's book of life. The wonder of being right before God. So here's my question to you today in light of these truths. Which righteousness are you trusting in? Which righteousness are you going to stand before God with? How are you intending to face the inescapable? What do I mean the inescapable? Well, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. 
And just as is appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment. That's the inescapable. <laughs> uh, you are going to die and I'm going to die. There's been no exceptions to that. And with equal certainty, each of us will appear before God and have to answer for life. How are you going to face those inescapable realities? That passage, by the way, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, goes into verse 28 where it says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let me put it before you. Will you rest in the relative righteousness that you've been able to achieve? Oh, I know at times you might feel somewhat secure in that when you look at some of the moral failures around you. When you see some of the worst expressions of what people can do motivated by sin and anger and hatred. But brothers and sisters, don't measure yourself against other people. Measure yourself against the perfect God. Perfectly holy. Completely righteous. Totally just. How do you match up? Do you want to appear before him resting in your relative righteousness? Thinking before that holy God, you can say, well, I did better than this person or better than that person. In, he, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, and Isaiah was that great prophet in Israel, he makes a comment, he has a vision of coming into the presence of God, and as he sees God, Isaiah says these words, Woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen God. That experience is going to be the experience of everybody, no matter how relatively righteous they are. And Isaiah was very righteous compared to his contemporaries. They will still, when they actually see God in all will, they will say, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Are you going to rest and put your hope in the fact that in that day that won't be your experience because you've done such a good job living? Don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. Instead, because that day, both of death and appearing before God, is inescapable, inevitable, Choose that when that day happens, it will be seen that you've chosen to rest in the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've accepted the great exchange. You've placed your sin on him and taken his righteousness upon yourself by repentance and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Summary, because God shows no partiality, the most upright person and the most morally degenerate person are all standing without hope before God. But he also shows no partiality in terms of those who repent and believe. It doesn't matter what your past record is and has been. If you will acknowledge your sin before him and your need, trust in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. Act and receive him to be your Savior, the one on whom you trust, and follow him. Then God says, you've passed out of judgment into life. The great exchange is now yours. 
You've now been reconciled to God. You cannot escape standing before God. Your choice is, what will I rest in as I stand before him? Well, join me next time. As Lord willing, we continue our study in the book of Romans, and we'll be examining the question in the upcoming verses, what about those who've never heard about the good news, never heard about even the law of God, have never heard about the scriptures? Important question, and God brings it to our, to our attention and gives us the answer to it. Join me then, won't you? God bless.